Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Adam and Tamarcus. Today, we're going to chat through some recent news headlines, but first, we're going to start with a heavy one. This episode is being recorded just two days after the shooting at Covenant Christian School that occurred on Monday, March 27th in Nashville, Tennessee. This is an incredibly sad situation and unfortunately too common in our day. And so we don't want to miss addressing this as we begin our conversation. This has brought up a lot of different thoughts from people on social media, and you've got folks who want to be able to show support and prayer and concern, and so we want to do that. People's lives were lost, Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a tragic situation, and we're going to talk, obviously, about this through a theological lens, but the the culture conversation that's popping up is that of gun control, Mm -hmm. and gun control is incredibly complex. Um, And actually, I think most issues are, we just don't get that on social media because a 30-second bite doesn't give you the opportunity to be complex. But Tamarcus and Adam, can you just help unpack some of the complexities that we might not realize are a part of this conversation that we need to consider as we think about it? Yeah, that's a really great question. Just starting off, though, to just acknowledge, once again, how incredibly sad... Yeah. um, Mm incredibly sad there aren't words to be honest to Mm -hmm. adequately describe and it hits so so close to homes for a lot of us a pastor's daughter Mm -hmm. was killed she was nine years old and he actually used to pastor at um, Highland Park uh, Presby which is not too far away from where we're recording this and Mm -hmm. so a lot of people even on our staff know him know Mm -hmm. his family Um, which uh, doesn't change the nature of the tragedy. It just, when something's close to you and it makes you, it affects you in a different way. Um, So anyways, just saying there is, um, there is a type of lament when I hear these things. And now that I have a daughter who's almost that age, I have a son who is nine. Whenever I, the three nine-year-olds lost their lives, Mm. you know, and you just, the horror and almost inexplicable evil suffering um, that, that, comes from all of this is just it just makes me say lord come soon please we just gotta it 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 makes me look at the world and be like i don't i don't want to i don't want to do this for that much longer Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that make me feel that way but this is one of them so yeah 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 i mean because it's it's supposed to be a safe space yeah um and you know it it seems as if as we're reading the headlines that no space is a safe space Mm. and and to be, I don't have children, I have nephews, um, and the idea of them going to a school and this being a possibility, mm. like there are no words to explain no. um, the terror and fear and just sadness that that brings and that this is a reality for us and for our kids, like for our kids to have to think about this uh, a shooter coming into school and training for that and all the things that are happening in the classroom is just it's like, man, why does that have to be a part of your reality as a kid? This is why, yeah. to, to, to exactly. And this is why this debate over guns and gun control or any of this is so incredibly hard because in order to have a conversation that can fix systemic issues, there needs to be a level of being able to be dispassionate, right? Yes. How do you – how is it 
possible to be dispassionate when nine-year-old kids are being murdered in a classroom? Yeah. How's it possible? So when you see, I, I just have so much, you know, so many conversations where outrage is involved just bother me to no mm -hmm. end. Outrage is an appropriate emotion to have around mm -hmm. nine-year-olds being murdered in mass. Yeah. It just is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so anyways, I say all that to say, you know, um, I'm empathetic to the fact that this conversation is so heated and difficult. At the same time, I do think it demands a thoughtful, mm -hmm. dispassionate look at evidence values, ethics, all the things, right? And that's just the starting place for why this is nuanced. I mean, any thoughts about about some of that? Yeah, I agree. I I one I I appreciate you just stating like, man, that's an appropriate response um to these things, right? That the kind of anger, the sadness, the mm -hmm. the emotions that are evoked. Um and realizing that while, while those are appropriate things to feel and to to bring to God and to community, right. that it's like, man, I'm I'm not in my best space to like craft decisions in that space. Policy decisions, uh, yeah, right. policies, yeah. And so, at, part of me part of me feels like that's where, um, kind of the I don't know what you want to call it, like the off time of like, man, like how how are we thinking about this in a holistic way, mm. um. You know, if I'm thinking again of how how we can start to come to those decisions, is like, man, you need we need everybody on you know whatever the fringes are. Like, we got to be able to, for the sake of children, we got to be able to come to the table, um, willing to let some things go. Sure. Like I was speaking about this uh, a little bit before we started recording, and um, we were we we're kind of like likening it to um, you know when nine eleven happens mm. and things change at the airport. It's like man, you man, is, is it a hassle? You know, going through security and taking your shoes off, and you now you can't take this on the plane or you can't just go up to the terminal anymore and pick up family, whatever. It's like a lot changed. You had to give up some conveniences and some, but it's like there, there's. I'm sure there are probably still people who don't care for that, but it's like man, collectively we just felt like this is gonna be. Uh, something that's going to make sure things like what happened never happen again. Right. Um, and it's like this, to me, this is becoming, or this is at the magnitude of a conversation of like, hey, at the, we need to be able to come together and say like this whole thing of like our children being ki like killed in mass in school is just, we're just not going to accept that. Mm -hmm. And so we're, I'm going to be able to come to the table rather I'm pro 2A, anti 2A, gun owner, non-gun gun owner, to whatever and it's like what what do we need to do what do i need to give in order for us to create an environment and policies and procedures to where this can be the most safe and most secure place um uh for our kids to be and i just i think uh the reality is that conversation requires things that are uncomfortable on all sides right um and yeah i think that's where it gets it gets tense maybe elizabeth to just talk about statistics for a mm -hmm. minute. It's helpful. It's yeah. helpful data input. But I think in order to have intelligent and good conversations about this, and what I mean by good is effective, right, types of mm -hmm. conversations, um, is to maybe look at the landscape of what is. Everybody needs to talk about that. Yeah. And um, it's helpful. And so, you know, I've 
I have for a long time, I was before this, uh, I was an attorney and back in my days of training, I worked as a criminal attorney. Um, and so I am highly interested in some of these things and have, you know, over the years sort of followed some of these statistics. So, um, what's true is that gun, gun violence in America is unique. Um, the level of gun violence is unique. Um, amongst developed Western nations, mm -hmm. I think we could say. And even then, uh, as in terms of gun violence, we look more like very unsafe, uh, you know, cartel-run states or terrorist states than we do most other Western nations. And so you have to ask yourself some questions about why that is. Um, but again, just looking at bald statistics, um, and my numbers aren't perfect, so go and look them up, but I think the United States is somewhere around 5% of the population of the world. Uh, we have, I think, around 46% of all private gun ownership represented in America. So we have 46% of the private-owned guns in the world. Um, we have somewhere around 400 million guns. Maybe it's more than that. It's, you know, you'll look at different statistics. It's like 1.2 guns per person in the United States. All those guns add up to something. Mm -hmm. um, you, it's also not as simple as just looking at um, murder rates or those kind of things. We've actually seen a decrease for a time. It, it fluctuates, I guess. It depends on how long you look at it. But over time, let's say from the 70s to now, you've actually seen a decrease in gunshot deaths, um, murders by mm -hmm. gun. You've seen an increase in suicides, though especially among young people, mm -hmm. um, also accidents with guns. I think since 2020, gun ownership has skyrocketed. People are buying more and more guns. It's not going down. It's going up. More people are buying guns in this country. So you, Who you, didn't previously who own Who didn't them. previously own a gun. Sorry, first-time gun ownership has gone up. So I think you know, you just have to kind of start looking at the landscape. I read one uh, fact that said if we, if if the Second Amendment was overturned, which it's not going to be, and people don't even want that, right? But if it was overturned and people gave up a, on, on the magnitude of a million guns a year, uh, it would take close to 40 years, somewhere between 30 and 40 years before guns were given up. That's kind of the magnitude of the problem we look at. There have been cases, I think it's important to say, I know I'm saying a lot of things, but mm -hmm. just kind of yeah. looking at it. That's good. There have been um, times where we've seen stricter gun control measures and more lax gun control measures. What we've, if you look at it all together, it paints a really nuanced picture. In DC, for example, there was a time where it was harder to get handguns that was eventually overturned in the courts. But during that time, suicide rates among teens, especially young males, fell by orders of magnitude. So we know that stricter gun safety regulations has an effect on suicide. Uh, mainly because the finality of a suicide by gun versus different types of attempt, attempts is such is so much more final. Yeah. So we know the rate goes down there um, in America. Uh, we also know that accidents go down when there's other safety. So those are two areas we know can be impacted really well. Where, but most of the types of gun violence we think about is actually not 
impacted very much by gun safety measures and laws that have been put in place. We were talking earlier, and uh, what we know is that some of the places with the most strict gun control policies have the worst rates of crime. And there's lots of reasons for that. Some is because they can drive across the border and buy more guns. But honestly, a lot of it is because people who are involved in those kind of criminal activities are not following the law in the first place. And so just kind of painting this picture and saying, okay, first just mapping out there's different types of gun violence, suicide, accidents, and murder, Mm -hmm. and saying what policies have what effects on each type of those. So now you're already seeing the nuance, right? When you look at – then if you look at the murder category, what makes the news – are more rare events. That may mm-hmm. sound callous. I don't mean it callously when we have what we have in the news now, but the vast majority of murders are caused by gang violence and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Those are the biggest, you know, if you yeah. ask cops, what's the most dangerous call you ever get? It's always a domestic violence situation. Yeah. Um especially where guns are involved, right? And so uh those two categories represent the vast majority of murders. And um, so the I, I we get all worked up and 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 our rightly our emotions flare when we see mass shootings, um, but we have to ask this question: Why we're okay with all the other, the other often yeah. okay, often less provoked by the other types of murders? And so that's just I'm honestly I'm and just even try- that those are are put in front of us less. I mean I think it's it's good to paint that landscape, right? Because in order for us to Again, it, it goes to there's a, a space for us to be able to have um, meaningful dialogue and like, what are we actually going to do where it's, you know, it's the kind of, you know, put it in the category of like, you know, helping hurts kind of thing. Right. Like if you if we don't have the right information, uh, we can actually be pushing towards things that that make it make it more difficult. Right. And so um, I, I think that's helpful. Kind of. I, I guess I have a, a, a question with that, too, because before we maybe go further is looking at those. Um, I guess and some of this maybe just be your opinion, but like, why is it that the, you know, at the mass, the mass majority of the, the, the kind of like gun deaths that we see, um, aren't typically what we find on the news or in the media really talked about anywhere. Um, let alone when like, uh, gun regulation and things like that are, are brought like what, like why, like why is that? Or like, what's, what's the disconnect? I mean, it's, I think what makes this hard for me, I think, in this conversation, the lack of information that's put before us is because people are trying to paint a specific narrative. Right. Mm. And so the information that we receive inherently has an agenda attached to it. And, you know, because stories about domestic violence and people dying don't make it to the six o'clock news, (laughs) you know, or you will hear more about gang violence. And sometimes I think those stories, uh, which gangs are you going to hear about and which ones are you not going to hear about? Um, Black people aren't the only people in gangs in our country, you know, but a lot of that can be racialized. Um, And so when it comes, because here is what I struggle with. and, And to Marcus, you can as I answer your question with asking you to answer your question, (laughs) um, is when it comes to gun control policy, um, it's tricky because there are things that are interconnected, whether it's lobbying, whether it is um, who's affecting whose pockets. Like people's intentions when they show up to the table to make decisions are funneling things that are not attached to people's safety. 
I mean, that's always been a thing, I think, in our mm-hmm. country when it comes to people's personal agendas when they step to make policy. But it is, I think, we hear certain stories because people want us to hear certain stories mm-hmm. because they, attach, they attach to some a bigger goal for them and what they're trying to achieve. Well, you have to assume it. I mean, if you just look at polling, the vast majority of Americans, both gun owners and not, don't mind stricter gun safety measures. They don't. Laws, universal background checks, all those kind of things are extremely popular among the amongst the population. It's political suicide yeah. for a Republican mm-hmm. to even talk about it. Mm-hmm. Why? How is that possible? You've got to start asking motives. And it's the gun lobby, right? Yes. I mean, that's a that's a cynical response. But yeah. it's like, surely if even amongst Republicans, gun safety is really popular. The you know, what they say would be common sense gun laws, like universal background checks or some other things that people are talking about, red flag laws, taking guns away from those with mental health. These mm-hmm. are some that some are starting to talk about. Why yeah. is it impossible to pass those laws? It's impossible. Why? Yeah. Like, it seems crazy, right? It seems like, and that's why you start to jump to the more cynical yes. narratives about the gun lobby and all these kind of things. Cause it's, it, it seems like if everybody's on board, why it can't, like it you know, it should yeah. be common sense. Right. So it's, it's harder not to, not to lean to the cynical side. I think, I think one, you know, I think maybe a really, just to answer your question, I think part of the reason, especially gang violence, doesn't make the headlines as much is yes racism yes what maybe desensitization over Mm -hmm. a long time it's been a common story for a really Mm -hmm. long time i think also though if if you wanted to believe the best right um i think also though this kind of fact that there isn't a you you, this is going to sound callous but it's like there's no victim is maybe how some people think it's like these are criminals shooting each other do you Mm -hmm. know and yes that's part of the narrative yes that's Mm -hmm. the way it's portrayed but it it's almost like two drug dealers shoot each other in a shootout it's like you kind of go yeah i guess that's true Mm -hmm. you know whereas when it feels like an truly innocent and remember i'm not yeah. i'm not arguing this i'm no, saying I this is kind of in our exactly head you, you know yeah, it's like yeah yeah when not anytime nine-year-olds get shot or teachers get shot what you said earlier places where guns you wouldn't expect things mm-hmm. a church shooting those are reported on whatever it might be those things are like shocking because it's like well that's not supposed to happen mm-hmm. whereas maybe you think when it's two criminals in your mind, you might think, well, yeah, they shoot each other. That's what I saw in the movie. You know what I, do you know what I'm trying yep. to say? So here I'm, I'm going to go on a bit of a, do of it. a trail, yeah. but it's because I think this is, this is important, especially from like a, from a Christian perspective right. of when we're thinking about uh, human life. So um, is, you know, as dark as the movie was uh, the dark Knight is one of my, like, right. I just think it's one of the best superhero movies that's <laughs> ever been made. Um, but the the it's also very it's also been very thought provoking to me because I feel like exactly what you just described mm. was the kind of button that the Joker was trying to press. Right, was like, hey, we're we act like we're so anti evil, mm-hmm. but really we're like selective. Like it's we don't like evil that happens to certain people, mm. but when it affects people that we are like. You, you know, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we're like, you kind of deserve that. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, we don't, we don't bat an eye. And right. he like, he, he just kind of teased that out throughout the the film. And there's a, there's a, a, a reality that I think in order to, to make real progress. And this is, again, I think gets to why it's so difficult is 
it really requires us to have like um, honest, honest, honest dialogue, even within ourselves mm-hmm. of um, our v- values, ethics, um, uh, the Imago Day, because there there's a sense in which like, man, like why? Like, you know, we would have to ask us, like, why why doesn't it affect me the same way when I see this happen versus sure. when this happens? Um, there's a, you know, you talked about earlier of just places where we do see the stricter gun laws and we see the, um, that not necessarily equating to the, the less homicides. Right, right. right. Um, and Chicago is like one of the, one of the, the biggest ones on the map. Mm-hmm. And uh, most, if you don't, aren't familiar with Chance the Rapper, you know, you just should be because he's, <laughs> he's great. I love him. Uh, but he has a, there was a song I, never remember, I remember hearing in college and uh, it's called Paranoia. And he just, he talks about um, just growing up there and just his experience and the the trauma. Um, and there's there's a line at the end that he like, he sings and it like, it has, it has stuck me so much. It's just such a powerful um, picture that combats that kind of narrative mm. within us. And he says, um, he says, I know you're scared. You should ask us if we're scared too. Mm. And it's just like that, that flip of a switch of like, oh, everybody that's in whatever, whether it's black, Mexican, white, whatever the demographic, wherever the place where it's in uns- the things are happening. And just this picture of like, mm. well, those people, that's just the, they're in that met, like, that's the thing they do. And just this like, hey, there is, there's, there's human lives here that aren't. Um, yeah, there there are a few that are that are making it difficult for the masses, but it's like, man, there's there's a lot of people here who aren't who aren't after that, who mm-hmm. aren't who don't who don't want that, who wants better sure. for their city, who cares more, sure. you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, um, I think having a having that a more holistic uh, picture, where then we're able to have kind of an empathy across the board, gets us to a place where we're able to start having that kind of nuanced dialogue of like okay you know what no we actually gotta we gotta take this into consideration and we gotta take these situations like this isn't this isn't divorced from the conversation because i f- i feel as though this isn't you know um this isn't deserving whatever it's like no actually we need we need to bring all of these together and figure out hey what's what's actually going to be best for our for our communities uh to flourish because now you're working with now you're working with all the information rather than just like you know, maybe the, the, the one piece that that's put in front of us. Yeah. I, so taking that and maybe pushing it even further to say, here's where I am. So you're talking about, there's a cultural side to this. There's an Imago Dei side to this. There's a gun control side to this. There's a mental health side to this. When you look at all the data and you're taking it all together, where I get in my flesh is hopeless. Hmm. So Maybe trying to say, how should Christians think through this? What categories are helpful for us? How should we consider gun control, shooting, all the pieces? Um, Because here's what's true when I've looked at the statistics. Uh, I don't think banning a gun, an assault rifle, I don't think it's going to have the impact that that some people want to have an easy political solution to. It's really easy to say, I banned assault rifles. And the question is going to be, yeah, but then what happens when somebody takes two nine millimeters into a school and shoots it up? You know, it's like, did you fix the problem? No, but you have a, you can show your constituents. I did something right. Yes. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, you know, 
that's where I'm saying I get hopeless. I'm like, I don't know how to actually change. There's too many guns. Mm-hmm. Banning guns isn't going to do it. It may help suicide. So maybe think about some things there. I don't know. But it's like, how do you really fix this problem? Okay. Now speak to the hopeless <laughs> Christian who's like, I don't, you know, yeah. Yep. I think the, I think there's a number of things. And so I want to address a number of people in the, in the, the audience, right? So maybe it's the hopeless Christian who is, like uh, where I often find myself, man, I want I want to do something, but I'm like I don't even know where sure. where to start. Right. Um, our Bible is our best friend, mm. and I just I am I am a full proponent of, of the the work of the local church, and part of the the missing link. And you know, oh, someone was you know these things happen with guns. We need to control guns. And it's like, man, really what's broken is the heart holding the gun. Amen. And so it's like the work that you can do. Like, I'm just thinking that, yeah, any, any of the individuals that we've seen over the past few years of, um, you know, these shootings in schools or in whatever, it's just like, man, like the, a, a, the presence of, uh, gospel relationships in uh, the lives of these individuals. Like, I just, I just wonder, like, how does that, how does that begin to change? And the, and the obvious, the obvious, uh, I think the hard part is, is like, man, that feels like a really like slow process. Mm. That doesn't feel like policy. You know, we talked about in the, the, in our young adults ministry back, um, I think on the podcast too, of just the difference between that, like, uh, the hard kind of power that that yes. government can wield, where it's like gun legislation, swoop, we did it. It's across the board, and it's done. And it's like, but that that just that can that can do some things, mm-hmm. but it can address the heart issue. And it's like, man, the 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 church, um, and even um, uh, parachurch organizations who have the ability to say, like, man, how do I actually, how do I actually get in the communities and I'm doing the work in the schools, in the students, whatever, to the point to where it's like, man, like that's not, that's not the thing that people are leaning on. Mm-hmm. And I just saying that we like remove depression, anxiety, hope, or what, but it's like, but you have another, you feel like you got somewhere else to go when you get there. Mm. Like it doesn't have to go. Like it's a, it's a big gap between I feel this way to the way I'm going to fix it is go shoot a bunch of innocent people. Right? right. It's like, man, there's so many other ways. Where it's like, man, how are we, how can we channel and put other opportunities in front of people? Then I think the 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 other person that might be listening and 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 feels as though um, this this sounds like y'all are trying to you know take away, remove, right, whatever you know kind of thing. And it's like you know we had a, a gentleman it came and just uh, spoke at our church this past weekend and was just reminding us of the character of God mm. and who we are in light of him. Mm. And just, uh, it was beautiful. And just the simple truths of hearing like, man, like God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. That's a trait only he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's all knowing, He know, you know, that's a trait only he has. Uh, he's the only one who can be everywhere at once. And it's like, if, if, if part of, um, if we check our hearts um, and I'll, I'll even, go out and say just like even in my own heart uh as someone who does own who has guns in this house is like man like is 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 the heart to say well if i can if i can get enough get the this do that do that then it's like i can secure myself mm. and i can protect myself from harm in the world around me in a way where 
you know, whatever the case may be. And it's like, I, I feel like, um, the, the Bible pushes back against that kind of feeling of like, man, like if, if there is this, this sense in which I can, I am, I am fighting for ways in which I can, uh, protect, we could do that with money. We could do that with, yep. you know, all kinds of things, uh, overemphasis in, in health and all that, where we're, we're trying to, we're trying to earn for, we're trying to earn for ourselves a, a kind of eternal life that we know we can't have. Um, then it's like, man, I think we need to, we need to let the Bible push back on that. Um, so that we can actually come to the table with open hands to what God might be inviting us into to help uh, not just be able to think about our own life, but the life of our neighbors and our mm. communities. Mm. Yeah, because the, the real enemy is sin, death, Amen. and Satan. Mm. Yes. And it's very easy in such a polarized conversation for us as Christians to forget that. Right. Um, and that... Our view, as you all have said, is how can I exist for the flourishing of others? Mm. What do I need to release? What do I need to hold on to? How can I step in to really love and to um, to show up in someone's life? And I think about the kids who we hear about years later when they and you pointed towards this, Tamarcus, and they have all these they 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 the issues that they walk through have grown and festered and we see the result of it, but they're the kid in the classroom um, who Mm -hmm. needed someone to come alongside them to really support and care for. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed by there's the problem is too big and I can't fix everything. And I don't think the Lord ever calls us to fix Mm -hmm. any, everything, but he does give us, uh, I like to think of it like our piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, for us as Christians to always have at the forefront is that the enemy seeks to to steal, kill, and destroy all that's good in the world. Mm. And he's doing that in some really horrific and tragic ways. And Lord, give us vision for how you can open my eyes to ways for me to push back against that darkness and to bring light and to be a bearer of truth um, and to do the work again, for especially for this conversation, to delve into the complexity as best as I can so that I'm able to have a good witness for why the gospel um, is ultimately the answer because it's not a gun problem, it's a heart problem. Yeah. Like you said, and the only answer for our heart problems is uh, Jesus. Amen. So we just talked a little bit about what Christians can do in general about gun violence, but what prompted the beginning of this conversation was a school shooting, another school shooting, right? And so I think we need to ask maybe a more specific question around the issue of gun violence. We've been talking in generalities about gun violence, but as it relates to school shootings, what can Christians do? What you, I don't think the answer is all that different. What you heard us say a minute ago is, pray, look for opportunities to change the heart. The real problem is sin, right? Well, now let's get granular. How, how might that be connected to the problem of, of gun violence in schools, school shootings? Well, if you look at school shootings themselves and you start to look at um, a pattern that occurs with school shooters, what we know is the vast majority of school shooters um, have experience some form of childhood trauma or exposure to violence. We know that every mass shooter has reached a crisis point uh, leading up to the shooting. Sometimes those are hard to recognize, right? But we know in hindsight, at least there's been a crisis point. Almost all of them have reached out 
in the weeks before, either on social media or to a friend. And even in this most recent shooting in Nashville, we know that the, the um, person involved in the shooting reached out to a, an acquaintance and told them, you know, not exactly what was going to happen, but talked about committing suicide, talked about committing violence. That person did try to reach out to authorities, but by that time it had been too late. Um, and we also know that all the shooters who accomplish, right, uh, these school shooters who accomplish this, they were able to get access either easy access uh, to firearms. And so let's just think for a second about what we said earlier. If you're a Christian, what, how, how does caring about sin, caring about the human heart, how does that answer some of the things we just said? Well, you know, um, I'm, some of this I'm getting from a TGC article as well, but many other articles and also just thinking, thinking about these things. What we know is that if we as Christians see sin as a problem that we can do something about, obviously through the Lord. Um, we know that then what that frees us up to do is to be a salt and light to this world, to be ambassadors of his kingdom, which means we can be proactive, one, about reaching out to hurting people, vulnerable people, making room for them amongst us in our congregations, and offering the type of healing love to them that only Jesus can provide. What that might mean is maybe you think about a ministry to hurting youth right? Vulnerable youth. Maybe it means um, putting this this love into action means making sure the recovery ministries of your church are really strong. Um, if we are reaching out on a proactive basis to uh, kids who are hurting and we're offering them the love of Christ, that's a, a true tangible preventative measure we can do. Um, we also uh, can help kids, maybe we get in the helping professions or use our resources to help those gain access uh, to helping professions that deal with things like trauma. So beyond just having ministries at your church, also having a ministry that helps connect people to resources. So for example, at our church, we uh, put aside part of our budget to help um, our members and their children uh, get access to counseling. So make connections with counselors in your community and through your church and maybe help uh, provide those resources, either by giving money or just having a uh, a running list of counselors who you can help connect children to. Um, maybe that's getting trained and doing counseling yourself. I think uh, being involved in the foster system as Christians, right? Looking out for vulnerable people and trying to enter in and offer a peaceful picture of Jesus to them is a help. Um, and then finally, what I would say is that last piece is how do we frustrate these individuals' plans? How do we in, how do we frustrate their plans? And one of those is by helping enact common sense gun laws. Now I know we talked about perhaps the ineffectiveness of this, but if you think about trying to, if if these people are often posting online, telling other individuals, if we could fight for a type of common sense gun law that would help restrict access to guns for these individuals, then we should we should at least have meaningful dialogue and explore what those might be. You can go to different websites and just look up common sense gun laws. You don't have to agree with everything they say, but they usually have a version of, of this a version of some sort of red flag law or some sort of law around mental health crisis and guns. Um, and you can read the wording of that. And then if it's something that you find um, that would be helpful, you can write to your uh, public officials, your, your senators and 
representatives and ask them to do something about it. So I just wanted to try and take some of this general conversation and make it specific. All right, I am going to transition us to a conversation about Joshua Butler Mm. and his book, Beautiful Union, How God's Vision for Sex Points Us to the Good, Unlocks the True, and Sort of Explains Everything. And the reason we're talking about his book is because of some exposure that his book got on the Gospel Coalition's website. And they posted, TGC posted an excerpt of his book that got a lot of attention because people found it to be extremely offensive um, and not, and in the as you listen to Joshua Butler, you'll hear that what he was trying to do didn't happen with this excerpt that people, but it got a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And so Preston Sprinkle brought him on his podcast, Theology in the Raw, with Dr. Sandy Richter and Brenna Blaine. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting conversation. One, I will say this before I open up to to Adam and to Marcus, is because they did what we don't usually see done, mm-hmm. is they brought an issue to the table. They did not all agree on this podcast, but they were able to critique Joshua's Butler's work in whole, mm-hmm. which took time. Um, they couldn't have a 30-second soundbite. And so I appreciated that um, because... You got to sit in it. You got to think through it. And even them engaging the conversation and his work in whole pointed to that some of our assumptions about his work from this excerpt may not actually be true. Mm. Um, That we may probably have, we may have misunderstood what he was trying to get towards just by these words. But it still is the question of why, out of all the words in the book, is that the one that TGC chose to post? So, y'all, what are your thoughts? Maybe a little bit more about what he said Mm -hmm. so he used the metaphor of sex he used sex as a metaphor graphically to describe um the relationship of jesus to the church the church to the world all these kind of y'all correct me if i'm wrong but that's how i understood it yeah um and so the outrage that i saw was on two sides. One was the graphic nature of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So it went beyond like, sex is a metaphor for hospitality. He didn't just say that. It was like very, there was detail in some places. Yeah. Things. Careful, don't do it on here, bro. Gosh, we're trying to keep this podcast with a G rating, bro. Come on. Yeah, there was a... (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) So yes, that metaphor. So on that side, there were a lot of people who were like, don't profane the name of God by talking about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, s- sacred God stuff in a sexual way. That's hor- horrific. Yeah. Then there was another side. That That's the best way I could say it. I, mm-hmm. You know, rather than calling names and saying prudish or something like that, it was like, hey, you're talking about the sacred and you're talking about it in a way that debases it, that brings it low and mm-hmm. it's wrong. Okay, then there was another side that had problems with what he was saying specifically about the nature of women. That's what I saw. Y'all might have seen yeah. more, but he talked about women as being hospitali- hospitable in kind of the passive, sex act because yeah. a little more passive because mm-hmm. the way they receive and take you know and and care for those who are you know uh having a more active maybe role or welcoming he used words like welcoming and these kind of things i think um so there was a sense in which uh women felt demeaned maybe yeah. um by his description of their role in 
and sex. So those those were the two things I yeah. saw. I don't know. You guys maybe could expand it, but that was the offense I saw taken online. Yeah, I'm gonna say those are the 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 two big categories, and I think I will add the um, just some further caveat of just the extent of it that I found interesting was you were getting a lot of um, like whenever I feel like when any time one of these kinds of controversies pop up, really, whether we're talking secular culture or nowadays Christian culture, is then you get like all of the other thought leaders now have to like. Mm-hmm. state your claim like mm. are you are you for this too or are you against it so then you have a lot of people coming out who either had endorsed the book previously and revoked their endorsements or hadn't done either nor have they like read it but like heard about it and kind of you know spoke their piece um and i, th- I, th- I think more and more you know listening to person's podcast that there was there was a lot of feedback that was all surrounding the excerpt posted by TGC mm-hmm. uh, that didn't actually come from like a full read of his book, which right, yeah, some some felt like reading the full book um, added nuance, but sure. there's still some you know obviously questions about the the extent in which he made his point even th- in the excerpt. I think there's two ways to talk about it, Elizabeth. You you tell me. It's like one is to take the material itself and say, what do you what did you think about it? The second is to say is a larger comment on the nature of social media, on the yes. nature of clickbait articles, on the nature mm-hmm. of whatever you know, however you want to say it, and say, you know, how should Christians enter into these kind of things? I'll be honest. I had a friend text me, actually one of our elders, and just say, did you see this? And I was like oh man, I really like that guy. He wrote a book years ago called Skeletons in God's Closet, which basically talked about the Canaanite conquest. I'm sorry, the Israelite conquest of the Canaanites, the hell about these points in the Bible that are are controversial. And he did a great job of sort of uh, explaining them in a way that was really beautiful. And when I I have people who are struggling with the concept of hell, I still use Josh Butler's language to help Mm -hmm. talk about those things. It helped me profoundly. So I went in thinking, man, I really like Josh. And I read the article and I'll put my cards on the table. I wasn't offended and I didn't really bat an eye at it. Now, maybe I missed something. I also skimmed it really quick. I was just like, no, I hadn't seen it. What is it? Phone read of it, quick Mm -hmm. skim. And was like, I don't know. That was it. I, and then I was shocked because then I started seeing or hearing about, because I don't have social media. Uh, I started hearing about all the like ruckus, you know? And it was my response to that was like, oh, here we go again eating our own. This is this is the Christian's favorite pastime is to tear each other apart, you know? Mm. Um, but I, I could be wrong. And so uh anyways, that's I'll I'll leave that there. Yeah, I mean when I read it, um And again, I only read the excerpt just so I you just know. read the excerpt yeah. too. And and I, t- I as an author, I want to be able to you know, come with the best intentions because it's really like easy for people. I think that's my worst fear is like people will take what you say and misunderstand you. Like, no, I'm really just a person. piece of it. Just actually. a piece of it. Like, just my <laughs> worst part. Yeah. Um, but it is like the moment that we're in, 
there's so much conversation about Me Too right. and about women and right. about sexual abuse. And the language was graphic. And I know that he, on the podcast with Preston Sprinkle, kind of pushed back against our response to it and saying, your response shows um, how you have been shaped by purity culture mm. and our pornographic culture and not that my writing of it was actually wrong. And I was like, okay, that's that's food for thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, is does wisdom have me put this out? Right. Because I know that this is going to evoke a response mm-hmm. for whatever reason. It's just going to evoke a response. And probably I was a little put off because of that. Sure. Uh, and there was uh, a lack of care or carefulness. Carefulness. Or, yeah. You know, even prefacing, you know, I think there's care you can have around putting out something that you know is going to be a little bit more provocative, but you believe that. The, the content is thought-provoking enough that it's worth people reading, but you kind of help shape them. You just don't kind of put it out and say, hey, y'all, here's a new book. Sure. Um, but um, what... <laughs> they threw that man underneath the bus. Sure. Like, as soon as that came out, every, a lot of people stepped away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Rich Velotas, you know, retracted his endorsement and also confessed that he actually hadn't read the book at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This is, we, how are we shaping people to think critically about ideas when our response to them doesn't give time for that? Mm-mm. And so I think that that to me in the culture, uh, just the immediacy of people's response and the, and the vitriol um, when nobody probably read the book. I didn't read the book. <laughs> right. Right. And right. so I think it's, it's, I sit in this in-between space of, now, what's wise for TGC to release, but also how do we respond to these things? Because there's one, um, his name is Joseph Solomon, um, and he has his tag on his Instagram. He said, let's just assume we're all real people here. Mm. <laughs> and it just is like the humanity of Joshua mm. Butler. And so it's like, I'm in, the, in in this in-between place of how, what was the best way to respond? Because he did like, I feel like overnight, that man had a lot of consequences for a poor excerpt being pulled from his book. Right. Yeah. And right. I think that's what saddens me. I, <clears throat> I too did not read the book. Um, <laughs> Just yet. three people who didn't read it talking about it. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, it has not been released to yeah, be yeah, either, true, to be true. fair. I was going to say, to be fair, it's not out. So comments on it can't can't give. But the to me, the the part, like I say, where I'm more like, man, is the, the response element. Yeah. And it's just like, man, what happened to, you know, one of my favorite writers, I probably said his name a number of times on here, but like G.K. Chesterton. And it's like, he, you read his, some of his writings and it's like, you think like, man, he like got after people Mm -hmm. and it's like their ideas. But in real life, like you read his biography and it's like some of the people that he disagreed with the most in and outside of the faith loved him dearly. Mm -hmm. Like they're, it was like, we're best buddies. We can hang out, go get lunch. And it's like where we get after each other is on the realm of ideas Mm -hmm. and we can disagree there and we can go back and forth there. You write something that I'm like, no, what is that? I'm going to write a response. Right. And it's like ours is like you write something I disagree with. I'm never going to like associate with you. Like it's a it goes straight. It's almost like it just skips the the lane of the idea. And then in this case, like not even. Like some, it's not even the whole content of what he wrote. It's like the excerpt. And then it's like, but man, so much becomes at stake for the person. Um, And I think, 
you know, part of me start I, I I started going down the road of like, man, like where's the place for that? Like when there's like like, oh, this is like heretical or whatever, and like we need to have like a staunch, like, hey, no guys, like this is versus like, man, I don't man, I at the very least what it sounds like is people are like, Man, like I think I think this wasn't tactful in some way or whatever. And it's like to be able to have that kind of conversation. Um, but I think yeah, I feel like social media in in a number of ways has just like like weakened our um in general, like just weakened our appetite for like long form anything. Well, think about it. It's like, okay, you got to think about the medium and the de- desire for immediacy. It's like, okay, so what we're doing here is, yeah, we're talking about a, a subject two days after it happened in the Nashville shooting, but we're not writing articles on it. We're processing out loud together. Yeah. We're thinking through something. I guess there's a way to do that in the written form on social media. My, my, hunches it's not a great medium for that conversations are better you understand that you're not being as careful nobody's going to get hung up on one word i say because we're kind of processing out loud together right Mm -hmm. if a statistic i said was wrong somebody can go look it up it's not like written in concrete you know but the permanency of a tweet people their tweets can be found five years later right Mm -hmm. mean that's always been true of writing writing is writing lends itself to a more firm type of communication. It's less fluid in some ways. And then you, if you pair the permanency with the immediacy, you get bad results. And it's like, if I was on social media and a cultural thing happened, I think I would personally have a rule that I don't even talk about my thoughts on it on that medium of writing until a month later, three weeks later. I think it would just force you think of, if no one said anything about this article and just said, hey, I'm going to sit with that for like a month, how many people would have probably not even entered in, right? Because it's not that important to them you or their lives. About it. Might have yeah. just forgotten about it, whatever. Or how many more of the responses would have been much more thoughtful and nuanced rather than like, he said what? You know, or whatever. And just now you're there and now you're saying all the things. And I, I just think, um, so n- now getting into this conversation about response and those kind of things, I just, um, I don't trust myself enough mm. to immediately respond to situations in which I'm upset about them in a way that... Um, is nuanced and thoughtful. Uh, And so I'm certainly not going to put those things down in writing unless it's my own journal, right? Mm. Why then would you do that for the whole world to see? And so I I just, yeah, I think um, especially as we talk about social media and issues, I just think the immediacy of it is terrible. You know, I just think it's a terrible thing. It, because... Because part of it is, okay, what's the thought process, especially of people who wanted to make it very clear immediately right. that I have nothing to do with this. Sure, thing. sure. <laughs> um, which is so sad. Yeah. Uh, and it just is the response from their followers that we will drag you through the dirt if you don't make it really clear right now that you aren't on this side of this right. band. That- and the fear of a plat- person who holds platform that I have to say something, even though my thoughts are premature, because if I don't, then people are going to label me all these horrible things right. when they're not true because people are, they're feeding into the same dynamic of, you have if you don't say something right now, your silence is you're being complicit. Right. And that means that you're not a godly person. Oof. And we need to, like, 
viciously, we will respond to you the same world the world does. We will cancel culture you, air quotes in the name of Jesus. Mm. That's it right there, Elizabeth. I mean, it's sad, right? I feel like we so often just fall back into worldly type responses, especially when using worldly mediums. I know that's a probably too strong of a statement, but here's what's great. You can really disagree with everything he said, and you can do mm-hmm. it in a really thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. We saw that on the podcast, yes. right? You can really disagree and think, hey, this is not the way we talk about Jesus. This is not, you know, et cetera. Um, this is not the way we should think about women, all those kind of responses. Um, but maybe like after you put it in context of his book, maybe after you write all those kind of things. So I think it's just, um, I'm repeating myself now, but just saying, I, I just think it's a, an important point to say, what we're not saying is that you can't disagree with what he said. What mm-hmm. we're not saying is that you you can't be offended by it. I, I don't believe that at all. It's just, what's the Christian way of processing, taking things in, and believing the best about somebody, all the things that we as Christians would hope we do? And I think it is to be much slower, much slower, especially in casting judgment on a person, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I really struggle with the, like, this person did something that I didn't like, so I want nothing good for them. Mm-hmm. Like, like my guy had to step out of his position at TGC. Right. The the literal people who posted the thing, then all of the cultural pressure, then go, oh, well, let's take it down, and yeah, maybe you shouldn't be here. Like, it's like, man, that I don't know. Some of, like, that... That is not being a believer, bro. I mean, like... That is the culture. The culture today. That's what I'm saying. Like, we've been so discipled by the world. That's it. And I'm just like, and I just see it in the, where it's not, it's not like, um, man, this person is like leading the flock into a, like I say, into a place of heresy away from the Lord. And it's like, hey, we need to like, mm. you need to like be removed from that for the sake of the, you know what I'm saying? It, there actually are cases where that's probably happening and we're more like slow in that regard. Yeah. But it's like, man, you like, you make a comment at a conference that didn't sit right or I disagree with and you get enough like rouse out of it and it's like, he you need, he should be removed. He shouldn't do this. He shouldn't be allowed to speak. If you like book him for your conference, I'm not going, like, and it's, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, man, so like he's. That's the world though, right? The world has lost categories of sin which means they've lost categories of repentance, which means they've lost categories of forgiveness, which means they've lost categories for re- uh, reconciliation and restoration. And what happens when you lose all of those categories, those underpinnings? Then all you have left is they're good or they're bad. Mm-hmm. Now you can just define, this is identity, right? It's shame culture. It's you are your worst moment. So now you're either evil and we have nothing to do with you or you're good. Well, how do you how do you define what's evil or good? Well, what I like or don't like, what offends me or doesn't offend me. And now you're in this place, guilt by association, all those kind of things. So instead of looking at Josh Butler and saying, hey, what did you really mean by that? I didn't like that. What did you really mean? Well, I meant this. Okay, that's not sin. I guess that's offense. So now I'm talking in categories of sin or not. And so, all right, you don't have anything to repent of then. I'm just offended or I didn't like your argument. Or if I would have said it, I, I might have said, said it, it this way. way. Yeah. Whereas if it's like, oh, that's heresy. Okay, that is sin. 
do will you repent of it? No, I won't. Okay, now you can't sit on our board. Do you see the yeah. difference is just so when it's so, to everyone's point, the responses are so worldly, you know. Mm-hmm. There's and it's all what's so sad is that it is Christians who are responsible for it. So you have all these calls for TGC to apologize for putting that on there and it's like, okay, apologies follow what? Sin. What sin did they commit? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like we just lost all our category. It's really sad, dude. It's a it's a yet another example of of I am more I yes, I'm troubled by some of the lack of wisdom of posting it and his writing of it and all that. It's strange and to your point, no, it's like maybe there's a lack of care in how you wrote it. I'm so much more troubled by the worldly response, you know. Yeah. And God, I hope that if anybody ever clips us up and throws it out there, which they could and find some things they really don't like that they would treat me as somebody who's capable of being restored. Yeah. It's like, gosh, I hope we're that kind to one another, but maybe that's too much to hope for. Yeah. You know, this, this season we're talking about wisdom, um, and the wisdom in knowing, um, of how we use our words and our language in terms of even responding to things mm. that are presented before us, that what the world wants from us is a quick visceral, visceral response. Mm-hmm. When it's not going to include an acknowledgement of sin, it's not going to include a pathway to redemption. It just seeks to um, kind of put people in a corner and say, you are never able ever to get out. We are going to characterize you by your worst moment. Mm-hmm. And everybody's kind of on edge with that. Um, and wisdom for the Christian seeks to rehumanize mm. who the world wants to dehumanize. And so in both these conversations about gun control and about Joshua Butler's book and really the response of Christians to his that excerpt in TGC, what we see is a call for us to remember that people are human and we have to treat them accordingly. Mm. And so when we think about issues with gun control, how can we remember that the issue isn't ultimately the person who is making a really terrible choice. And we need to recognize that the issue is the enemy that we face that seeks to take what is good from us. And we as Christians have an answer for that in Jesus. Mm. And when it comes to what happens with Joshua Butler and our response to things that we don't like, that we recognize his humanity, we give him the opportunity to tell us the entirety of his argument. And even if it just is, man, maybe I could have done that a better way, that there's space for that and not a need for us to immediately tear this man down um, because we are people who rehumanize, who the world dehumanizes. We're mm. people who walk with grace. We're people who fight for justice, yeah. um, but we're people who also do that in the way of righteousness. Um, and to me, it is, what's the gospel lens? And we ask these questions all the time on the show. And hopefully you all are bringing that to your own context. When we see something on the internet, when we see something pop up in our timeline, what's the gospel lens? How does this bring me back to Christ? hope and redemption that come through him and how does it allow me to honor the creation that he has brought into this world including all of humanity thank you for listening to culture matters this episode is produced by chelsea conway with editing and support from the good podcast company if you're a regular follower of the podcast we would love to hear from you you can message us on social check the show notes for more information on how best to connect with us as well as connect with our guests in ways to support their work. See y'all next time.